Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, February the 6th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can be showing up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And, of course, I want to thank the good folks over at Fansided, our great podcasting partners, and our good friends over at RisingApple.com. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Have a really cool guest, an old friend of the show. You guys know him. Joe DeMeo, That's So Mets Pod with Connor Rogers, SNY.TV, one of the first guys for a long time to focus on prospects in the minor leagues. And we're going to talk about prospects in the minor leagues, specifically how he sees the system providing some depth. We'll get into the, all this MLB nonsense. Actually, I talked to Joe a couple of days ago when it was just breaking on the wire that the owners were looking to get some federal mediation from the MLBPA. That ain't happening. And, uh, you know, obviously there's talk about them meeting again, so we'll get into that. But we're also going to talk, we'll chat a little bit about Buck Showalter and Billy Epler's visit to Port St. Lucie. What do we think about the roster? Oh, and yes, Robinson Cano. So a lot to talk about with Joe DeMeo. But before I get into the, you know, my thoughts on what's going on with the labor strife, because I do want to address it, and I'm going to take a little bit of a different stance and then get to Joe. I wanted to come to the audience from a personal perspective. And 
I don't usually do this because, you know, this is a show about Mets baseball. It's not a show about Mike Silva. It's not a show about, you know, I'm not barstool sports. Nobody cares what I do on the weekends. Nobody wants to hear my funny quips. You want to hear what I think about the Mets? And sometimes we we get humorous and whatnot. But for the last 15 years, and I've been doing this show since 2007, but in uh, June of 2008, I adopted a golden retriever named Sammy. And for the last you know, 14, 15 years, for the most part, when I'm doing this program, except when I was off, off-site on, at WGBB or Mickey Mantle's restaurant, when I'm coming to you from my home studio, my humble abode, Sammy was pretty much not sitting in the studio, but sitting right outside the door. You never, maybe once in a while you heard him. And I got four dogs. I got three chihuahuas. My wife and I have three chihuahuas, and, and we have a golden retriever named Sam. And that's a lot of dogs. But Sam has been with me way before the three chihuahuas, way before I met my wife. And he used to sit right outside every time I did a show. And I've lived in different places and whatnot, different iterations of the show. And um, to tell you how long that is, June of 2008, Willie Randolph was still manager of the Mets. So let's do a little Mets component to what I'm about to tell you. Willie Randolph was a was the Mets manager. He was about a week away from being fired. Jose Reyes and David Wright were pretty much in their early prime, destined, at least Wright uh, was destined to be a Hall of Famer. Mets were coming off a collapse, but there was still hope that they could uh, rebound. And with Johan Santana in his first year in a Mets uniform, who he had who had not thrown a no-hitter yet. And we were only a couple of years away from 2006 in that fabulous, magical summer. Matt Harvey was in college and was not even a thought about being the Dark Knight. Jacob DeGrom was a shortstop at Stetson. Uh, Terry Collins, Mets manager, come on. That guy flamed out. Buck Showalter, where was Buck Showalter in 2008? Probably Texas or maybe had just gotten fired. The Yankees hadn't even won their 27th World Series. Joe Girardi was their manager. Uh, I don't even think Barack Obama was president yet. I think it was still George W. Bush. But the point is, a lot has happened in baseball in the world since 2008. And through all that, my buddy Sam was with me. But Sam on Friday had to do what happens to all of us he had to take the next transition and he passed away on friday which was very difficult very difficult for my wife and i and we had a beautiful ceremony and and all i'll say is this without getting too personal if every pet that all you have could have the ending and i have the gift of being able to have that much time with him and be able to work him through those final days and he didn't have much time left so we had to work him through um, I wish that for all of you because I know how hard it is when you have a friend, a pet, and and I think it was our friend Greg Prince over at Faith and Fear and Flushing recently talked about a pet he lost. So I dedicate this show to Sammy. He's not here today, unfortunately, because uh, I'm going to miss him. He's not outside my uh, my door right now, but 15 amazing years. He's running free. His mom misses him. His brothers Chico, Peanut, and Buddy miss him. And uh, we're going to meet again. And hopefully somewhere he's listening right now, listening to me about to talk about labor strife and uh, with our buddy Joe DeMeo and all the other stuff that's going on. Love you, buddy. Miss you a ton. And uh, I want to thank you guys for sharing you know, or listening to uh, a little personal touch. So this show is dedicated to Sam 
sorry, Sam. I know that sometimes when you listen, you probably wanted to hear something a lot better than Rob Manford and Baseball Strife. So anyway, thanks for giving me a couple of minutes to kick off the show here, to share something personal, to share the tribute of this program. Let me take a quick break. When we return, let's get to baseball. I'll give you my thoughts about what's going on in the world of baseball negotiations, the labor negotiations, the MLBPA. Trevor May had some harsh words. You'll hear that. And uh, we'll talk about that more right after this. In my opinion, probably going to be something missed, probably spring training mostly, because spring training, first of all, you don't pay players in spring training, so the leverage on their end isn't as high during spring training as it is during the season. Um. He's just not somebody who is not going to use every ounce. Him and all of his people that he put around him, his team, all the executives, are going to leverage every single ounce of like everything. They're not. It's not going to. They're going to put every every. They're they're not going to leave this situation thinking that they could have inferred because it's not a good faith. This isn't a mutually beneficial situation. They want to win. So in the past, there's been an element of like respect for the game of baseball and tradition and romantic, a romantic, like they like baseball. Those things are not in, on Rob's radar. They're just not that important to him. It's just that simple. He just doesn't really, really think about the fan as a fan. He doesn't really think about the player as people. He thinks about all of us as a dollar sign and he wants to move the pieces in order to maximize the number of dollar signs that go to his bosses. That is just the way that it is evil not evil whatever you you know whatever you think that means it's just very transactional he's just a, that's just the way it is like i so it depends on whether or not you like him or like, i i don't know him i don't know him as a person i just know that that is he do, does it over and over and over and over and leaks and duh and duh and duh. And like it's just it's all just manipulation and it's all a chessboard move. It's just this big chess game and the chess game needs to go to the very, very end to get the maximum benefits for the owners. So this is not going to be a good faith negotiation. Not a single negotiation with the guy has been in good faith. He doesn't do good faith things. Good faith means, ooh, I want you to come out in, in a situation where you're happy, but I also want to be happy. This is more of, a, he goes, as long as I'm happy, I don't care if you're happy. That's the way that it's being approached. See, good faith needs to stop being said. It's bad faith. He's just, good faith doesn't exist. So stop acting like it was even a possibility. It's not the way he operates. All right, we're back. You heard uh, Trevor May and his thoughts there. And, and again, I want to thank everybody for uh, allowing me a few minutes there in the open to get personal. I hope uh, I hope that's okay. You know, I, I did my best not to break down. Uh, it's been an emotional couple of weeks. And um, I just thought, look, this is a great audience. I have so many personal interactions with you guys, mainly virtually. And when I want to dedicate and tribute a show, to a special person in my life, a special friend in my life. Uh, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it publicly. So thank you for allowing me a few minutes on a program that you probably don't want to hear about me and, and, and my pal Sam. You wanted to hear about, um, about baseball. So let's get to it. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and do what you know I think a lot of people probably are doing, is ranting and raving about these darn owners and... You know, they don't want to share the pie. And, you know, I, 
most fans are going to take the side of the players because, and maybe that I shouldn't say that. Most fans get angry at the players for you know usually when there's a strike, but in this case, it's the owners that are locking out the players. And here's what I'll say: I think Tim Healy uh, over at Newsday tweeted out. And I don't know if we all know, because there hasn't that much out outside of the basic things that have been public, what the real issues are at the table. But Tim Healy recapped, I think, best the three main issues there are out there. The minimum salary raise, which looks like there's about $100,000 apart between the two. I mean, come on. Uh, The fact that we're here talking about there has to be legislation from the Players Association, that teams want to try and win with their best players. And I know that ties into salary uh, service time manipulation. But I think that's a bigger issue. The fact that we actually have to convince the owners that their product, the main goal is to win and put the best team out there. It is absurd that we've gotten to this point. And then also, obviously, we know the competitive balance tax could be a de facto salary cap. You know, me, I'm a little bit different on that because as much as there's a lot of money coming into the game, it is very expensive to run a team. We really don't know what the margins are of profitability. Just because a team is worth $3 billion, $4 billion, whatever, that's not cash. That's not liquid. You can't go and pay your employees with that. That's a valuation. And sure, when you cash in on a team, like the Wilpons did, you're very rich. You're very rich. But you know what? It takes a lot to run a baseball team. And, you know, when you look at concessions and you look at the players' salaries and you look at the overhead and and how hard it is to get people to go to the ballpark, uh, let's just remember, when you get hit with a competitive balance tax, depending on what those millions are, that could come and and play into it. Cable TV disguises a lot of ills. Nobody knows what the books are. I'm not going to pretend to know. All I know is I'm not... I understand that both sides probably have grievances. In this case, the players have played nice cop for a long time, feel like they've gotten taken advantage of for a long time, and now they're trying to, you know, if those are the issues they're putting their line in the sand on, they're not issues that I think are overly complicated in the sense where I can sit back and criticize them for putting their line in the sand. When I say there's complexities within them, when I say it's not overly complicated where I could make this argument and say, well, the players are this and the players are that. What I will say is this. What disturbs me the most, listening to Trevor May on his podcast that you just heard coming in, And I have no reason not to believe what he has to say because we saw it and it was reported throughout the 2020 season that nearly never happened because there was so much animosity between the two sides. Rob Manfred's a difficult guy to negotiate with. He wants to win. And I don't understand how somebody running a sport who obviously his job is to do the best possible deal of the owners would not see how negotiating with the talent, with the product. Remember, yeah, they own the uniforms, they own the stadium, they own the names, but without those guys in those uniforms, those things are absolutely worthless. You put Mike Silva in a uniform, a Mets uniform, it ain't worth $3 billion, $4 billion, whatever dollars the Mets are. All due respect, no one's coming to see me. If they do, they ain't paying a lot of money. 
So to want to win and crush these guys is mind-boggling to me. Absolutely mind-boggling to me. And there is some talk of the owners meeting and then a counterproposal coming. And yeah, I get what May is saying. What, missing pitchers and catchers? Is that the end of the world? These players are uh, you know, out there getting themselves ready. I think you need to get people into camp by March 1st. And by the way, that's less than a month away. And remember, I said back in December, I said this back in October, that this thing will be solved closer to Valentine's Day than New Year. Well, guess what? We're talking maybe now St. Patrick's Day. And if this thing doesn't get solved the next couple of weeks, or God forbid lingers to March 1st, I don't think you got a season uh, starting on time. I'm not saying the season will be canceled. And I want to be really throw it out there. Now, I it'll be look, the players haven't missed a paycheck yet. They're missing time. And believe me, this group of players is not like the groups back in the 80s and even 1990. Um, or the guys that got a big chunk of their salary in 1994 and walked out and, you know, look, they they missed, what, uh, uh, probably two or three paychecks, maybe two paychecks. It hurt some guys, but you got a big chunk of your salary for 1994. You hurt the game, and then it really got serious when the offseason came and it looked like they were going to lose another season and they were able to figure it out. But nobody's missed a paycheck yet, so that'll be the real true test for the players, how how much that line in the sand, how much they believe in those things that Tim Healy pointed out. Because losing money then changes a lot of things. I think there's a ton of guys out there that are free agents that are screwed that from a standpoint of baseball and bringing in talent on a short-term deal, I think the Mets are going to have some interesting guys that they could grab maybe on a one- or two-year deal, maybe on a one-year deal with an option, because they're not going to have a lot of time to make a decision. There are guys who are on the fringe that are like, shoot, what kind of contract am I going to get? And every year, and you can say, well, they've made a lot of money, but every year you waste in terms of earning as a professional athlete is one less year you have because you don't have a lot of time. What is your average career? Five years? You want to give up twenty? You know, uh, you know, 15% of that for this? But here's really what my point is. Both sides better realize that a lot's going on in the world because of the last two years, because of what's been going on with COVID. Been to the gas station lately? I drove by this, uh, this early, earlier this evening, 343 for regular. Gone to a supermarket, see a lot of empty aisles down there, right? See the price of food, see the price of electricity, see the price of, you know, if you have, I have home heating oil. Price of everything, your kids' stuff, bills come up. Life comes up. Your kids need something, clothes, whatever. When it's all said and done, when you start to live without something, and we live without baseball a lot in 2020, as much as we love it. And if you start living without baseball for a little bit in 2021, people move on. And I'm not just talking about the younger generation. And they may come back and watch on TV or listen on the radio, but you know what? I'm not sure I'd be ready to put in dark ink an attendance figure for anybody out there if these guys mess around enough where they start to lose games. Fans always come back. But between health and safety and people still concerned about that aspect of life, the cost of just about everything, and the pie they're fighting over, 
Remember, there's a big pie, and, and the players deserve to fight over the pie. If the pie exists, I have no reason to begrudge them anything. Because that pie is either going to go to the owners, or it's going to go to them. Or it's going to go to Uncle Sam. You want to talk about the, 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 the third one is the least likely person I want to... That's the least of who I want to get the money, right? So if the pie is there, they deserve to fight over it. But the pie could go away. Now, I'm not saying it's going to disappear overnight and they're going to become horse racing or boxing. That's not what I'm saying. But every time you mess around during historically different and challenging economic times, you're playing with fire. You think for a minute that fans are going to go out. And this doesn't really apply to the Mets because they're competing and winning and spending money. But let's just talk about the game in general. You think fans are going to go out because some... 32-year-old, analytically-driven GM wants to tank for five years to create his legacy and build up a farm system? You think they're going to go sit at a ballpark near you to, to, to watch that team? What, for $250, $300? Now, maybe it's not the same in Pittsburgh and Kansas City and Milwaukee as it is here in New York, but it's a commitment. It's a three-hour commitment. you got to pay for parking. you got to bring the kids. you got to deal with all the hassles. Not to mention the fact that you look at your cable bill and you get jacked up, and a lot of that is because of the sports packages, and then you go around the cable dial and you're like, what am I paying for? And with cord cutting and cable companies with, with the general public who doesn't use sports channels cord cutting, those valuations may go down. Now, I am not an economics aficionado. I am not a labor nego- a negotiation aficionado. I'm looking at this just like you, like a... Uh, Humble old Mike Silva, a fan of the game with some common sense principles. My message to both sides is be careful. Because right now, the consumer is capable of anything. Over the last two years, if you haven't learned one thing, you better learn it right now. Don't go by historical precedents because none of that matters. Nobody would ever thought two years ago at this time we'd be where we are economically because once coronavirus hit everything changed and we're trying to get it back to normal and it'll get back to normal but there's a lot of fallout there's a lot of collateral damage and the one thing that once you break through and you have that breakthrough of going to a certain level and living without things or trying things or pushing the envelope on things there's no guarantee it won't happen again so don't ever say never Don't ever say that that can never happen and baseball will always be here and baseball could always survive all their stupidity because they can't. And I'm not mad at the players. I got to tell you, what Trevor May is saying, if the commissioner of baseball, who, by the way, worked on the Bud Selig when he hired a fixer to go after A-Rod, a fixer, Ray Donovan. You ever watch Ray Donovan, guys? That's who Rob Manford hired to go after A-Rod. Dirty, 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 dirty league. Manfred's been there for that. Remember that. And I know he's a lawyer. He has to win. But sometimes you, you know, winning by burning the house down doesn't leave you with anything. So you better be careful. That would be my take. I'll be here. I know those who listen will be here. But will 50,000 people want to show up and watch baseball? What will the fallout be in other towns? There's a lot of things that people could do now. There's a lot of things that kids could do. There's a lot of stimuli. 
And the last thing you want to do is hurt this sport when the, the three things that you're fighting over or the three things the players are really trying to get, if this is true, because we really don't know the whole story, those three things, there's every reason for these two guys to come to the middle. And that's what negotiations are. And if Manfred's not there to negotiate and try to meet in the middle and he's there to burn the house down, well, maybe the owner should start thinking about who the next commissioner is. Remember, this is Bud Selig's parting gift. I never was a Bud Selig fan, but at least Bud Selig knew that the sport couldn't be burnt down. That wasn't in his best interest. He almost did. He did back in 94, but they were at a critical mass, and he pushed them as far as they could go, and I think he learned his lesson after that. I'm not sure Rob Manford is reading history. That's all I'm going to say about the labor situation. That's not why you're here. You're here to talk baseball. Well, anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Joe DeMeo had a chance to catch up with him earlier in the week. We're going to talk about, obviously react to when the news came down about uh, the owners looking for mediation. We're going to talk about Billy Epler and Buck Walters' trip to Port St. Lucie. Robinson Cano comes up. And oh, by the way, who better to talk about depth in the Mets system? Because I've been concerned about it than a guy that covers the Mets farm system for SNY.TV and his great podcast, the That's So Mets Pod. All right, let's take a quick break. Joe DeMeo, right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at mikesilva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, talkingmetspodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me, our good friend. You guys know him from That's So Mets Pod on YouTube, podcast with Connor Rogers, MLB Draft, MILB uh, Mets Stuff, SNY.TV, Joe DeMeo, longtime friend. Joe, welcome to the program. And you come on hot off the presses. Major League Baseball and the Players Association are in, uh, shall we say, counseling. You know, when you can't get along with your wife, you go to counseling. Yeah. So this does not sound good. Welcome in. I start off on a negative note, which I wasn't planning on. But, geez, this is not good. This is not good at all. I mean, the MLB and MLBPA at this point pretty much feel like that couple that you hate that they're together because they just fight and they can't get along. But this is a couple that can't break up. Uh, so they're going to have to find a way. I know that they're looking to hire this mediator and I'm seeing something from Buster Olney that like the last time they tried this in 94, like it was so unsuccessful and it caused like the world series to get canceled and the strike didn't end. So uh, I'm not feeling too good today, but I'm still trying to hold out some hope that they'll smarten up when they realize they're going to lose real money. I don't think it's a big deal losing pitchers and catchers. It's a big deal for the fans. It's a big deal yeah, for us. Right. The players, they do all their off-season work. Those first two weeks, look, you want to get to know your teammates, get down to the field, work with trainers. The, the, the fact that they can't work with the staff is a problem. But if you were able to get everybody in a camp March 1st and maybe you push the season back a week, I don't think that's the end of the world. I think it, for me, if you're losing one game 
that's inexcusable in my opinion one regular season game uh if you can actually like truly start camp on march 1st that's probably like the the last day where you can start the season on time and actually go on march 31st uh if you could if you could have pretty much a month of spring training i think that could that can fly but to me it's inexcusable that we could potentially miss any games. I mean, they locked out the players unnecessarily. They said, we're going to lock you out because this is going to accelerate talks. And then they didn't talk for 42 days. Like that was a, that was the yeah. owner's negotiating ploy. I, and I said, yeah. this gets solved closer to Valentine's day than yep. new year. This might get solved closer to St. Patrick's day. Yeah. It's, April I mean, Fools. you're hoping that it's the, the darkest before the, dawn or whatever that yeah whatever that phrase is where like it looks really bad now and we're going to start trending upwards that's me trying to be optimistic but right now it does not look good it is a negotiating ploy remember they're using the media to their advantage let's go this route let's announce it let's see if the players blink remember the players miss a paycheck there are a lot of owners that don't make no they don't make money in spring training or whatever they talk about not making money so for them, the, you know, and again, the players have some time. I mean, the spring training is the per diem. I don't think there's really any money to be lost for a player other than their career, you know, uh, time to put in, getting hurt, things like that. So this could be posturing. I do find it hard to believe in the midst of the economic situation we're facing in this country with the pandemic still going on, that the PR of MLB, and I know that you don't want to just roll over for that, but I mean, geez, you know what I'm saying? So. You you would Crazy think stuff. you're going to, you'd think you're going to, they're going to have to find some middle ground. They're both, they will both lose money once you start messing with the regular season games. And I thought we were off to, we were getting somewhere because it seemed like they were talking the same language, even though the yep. numbers are off. They're like, all right, yep. we'll talk arbitration pool. We'll talk this. The numbers were a hundred to 10. So they weren't close, but they're at least talking about the same subjects. And I I don't know how it took such a sharp turn left. But uh, um, hopefully they could get going here because, man, I'll tell you, I, I'm, you know, pro player over owner, millionaire over billionaire, whatever. But I'm at the point where I'm done with all this crap. Just fans don't care. They yeah, don't want to hear care. about arbitration. It's too deep in the weeds. Tell me about the universal yeah. DH. Tell me about the playoffs. That's what they care about. At yeah. PSL to Flushing, Joe DeMeo, SNY.TV, that's so Mets pod. You probably know him. He's got a far bigger following than my humble little uh, abode over here. But in case you don't, go check it out. Okay, let's get to positives. Um, maybe Billy Epler and Buck Showalter weren't the first choice of many ranks in the fan base and the media. And maybe there's concerns that you uh, are looking backwards rather than forwards with some of the bright young minds in baseball. But Jill Sherman had a two-part uh, article out at the Post, which – he shadowed Epler and Buck Showalter down in Port St. Lucie. And there's probably some public relations from the Mets side of that. So let's remember that. But I have to say, I've watched every, because I have the, the press box access and I could go on the calls and I get the, the recordings of the Zooms and I sit on my own time and rewatch them. And every time I listen to Billy Epler, every time I listen to Buck Showalter, I'm impressed that they're old school There's a lot of this 90s Knicks, Pat Riley talk that I get out of these guys. But they're not antiquated. And Epler is a very authentic guy. I don't think he's phony. And there's a lot of phoniness in baseball. And Buck is what you see is what you get. And he's got that little self-deprecating humor. But um, he gets it. Now, 
doesn't mean a hill of beans until you play some games. But after listening to these two guys tour the facility, talking about the attention to detail, talking about the collaboration, uh, the mix of scouting and analytics, and some of the real small things that they're looking to do with a laundry list of stuff to do, I have yet to walk away from a press conference and feel that it was a sugar rush or it was nonsense. I feel really good about these two guys. Am I crazy here? No, I'm 100% with you. I And to be transparent, I didn't want Buck Showalter to be the manager early on in the process. I understood the pros to, to Buck, but everything that I had read and heard and things is like he was just stuck in the old ways. And by all accounts, it sounds like that's not the case. He's certainly open-minded and willing to learn. But if you're going to throw numbers at Buck Showalter, he's going to ask you questions about those numbers and you better have an answer. Otherwise he's not going to utilize them. He's going to go ahead and, you know, do manage with his gut, which I'm sure, you know, will be a part of it, but I'm always, you know, me, you've known me for a very long time. I'm always thinking about the long term. Uh, I'm makes me a different kind of fan. Like uh, I'd like it if they won the world series this year, but I'm more interested in winning multiple world series than just one. So I was thinking, all right, you know, Buck, whatever, like, give me a Joe Espada. Give me someone like that that I think could be the long-term fixture. But I've been swayed. And I think Buck is the perfect guy at the perfect time for this team that needs a clubhouse culture change. Like, we we know about the Rat Raccoon incident. There was plenty of other things that happened in that locker room this year that were not good. And that doesn't mean Luis Rojas can't manage people or anything like that. It's not an indictment of Luis. It's just the clubhouse didn't really click this year. And I think that stuff will not happen under Buck. So I'm feeling pretty good about Showalter. And Epler was, frankly, you know, when you got beyond the big names, the Stearns is the Billy, those guys, the big names, like Billy Epler to me, it made the most sense. Like he's learned from Stick Michael. He's well-versed in both analytics and the scouting side of things. He did pro scouting. Um, he worked with the Yankees analytics team when they were kind of in their infancy. So he's, he's very aware of both of those things and he brings experience to the job. I mean, no offense to, you know, Brody Van Wagenen and, and those guys, like they, they came in, they've never done this job before. The Mets hired professionals that have been there, done that. And, you know, we could argue about Epler's success in Anaheim. I can also argue with you how much of that was his fault and how much of that was Artie Moreno's fault. So I think they got a good dynamic and uh, they're continuing to grow their analytics department. They're, they're investing in their player development. Uh, their amateur scouting department is staying exactly the same and they've done a tremendous job. I mean, just look at how much homegrown talent that they have on the big league roster and some of the up and coming prospects. But yeah, I think they're headed in the right direction and, you know, they'll continue to grow from here. Like I'm sure we're going to talk about David Stearns again in a year or two as president of baseball operations on top of Billy Epler. And they're apparently like best friends in baseball, like Stearns and Epler are supposedly close. So we'll, we'll recircle to that at some point, but for now, I think I, I feel much better than I did kind of when the announcements of their hirings first happened. And I agree with everything you said there. I think the other thing you have to look at is that Billy Epler, ironically in Joe Torrey's uh, book was uh, considered the, a non-analytic, you know, the analytics guy. I don't see that. I don't see yeah. that. And I like the collaboration. I, I listened to a podcast uh, that Ben Zosmer was on at, at a Harvard podcast. And um, 
These guys are all looking to work together. And what you saw with the hitting coach situation that came out, the John Harper column at SMY.TV, some of what you talked about in the locker room was that they were given mixed messages. Not everybody was on the same page. They had success. And I don't think that was a bad team. There was issues. There was injuries, of course. But I think it was undone by disharmony in terms of everybody understanding what was expected of them, in this case, the offense. And I don't think that's going to happen listening to these two guys. They may not win, and maybe they're not going to be as good as we think, because I have some concerns about the roster. But I think everybody's going to be rowing in the same direction. And that is something that hasn't happened here in a long time. And that's what they need now. And it doesn't mean they can't groom the next wave of Joe Espada here. And you got a, sure. a longtime manager here. So uh, I, I, I agree with everything you said. And I think that this is they're here because of not that the guys before were bad, that that column about the hitting coach, that in a nutshell was the problem. Oh, yeah. that's a synopsis of the problem. There was more problems, but that kind of thing was the problem. And I don't think you're going to have that with these two guys. No, I totally agree. Last year, I mean, we have to take into account kind of the mess that it was, right? Like Jared Porter was the GM for a little bit. Then Zach Scott was the GM, but not really Sandy Alderson was the GM because he wasn't comfortable letting Zach Zach Scott be the GM. Then at some point in the year, he was comfortable and let Zach Scott do his thing. And they fired Chili Davis and uh, they brought in uh, Quattlebaum from player development to come be the hitting coach. Like, I know how you're talking, like they're going to be riding the same wave now, Billy, Buck, the staff, like they're going to all be pushing the same message, which is a good thing. Frankly, you know, it didn't work out. Obviously it was probably impossible to push the same message when you were changing hitting coaches, changing GMs, changing all this stuff multiple times within a five month period. Like it's impossible to actually be rowing in the same direction. I'm hopeful now that they got the right people that, you know, it, like you said, it remains to be seen. They could win 80 games. Like we don't know. There's, right. there's, there's issues exactly. with the roster that need to be addressed, but it's all to me. Like I, I like I mentioned a few minutes ago, like I'm thinking long-term, like, all right, we're going to set the processes that are going to be in place for years to come. And whether that's winning now or winning in three years or four years, whatever, like I I'm feeling as confident as I have in some time that the Mets are going to be moving in the right direction. Yeah, I do. I agree. I feel good about everything. And I think you could see that with the media coverage, too, that they feel good and they like the transparency and the interaction. Now, you mentioned the roster. We're going back to what we talked about on the uh, coming in about this lockout, this was going to be a wild. Once the, the it says go, it was going to get wild. I mean, Billy Epler, since Thanksgiving, when Stephen Matt said no thanks, and we were freaking out. Yeah. I mean, he's hired a manager, a coaching staff, signed a, a premium pitcher, three key free agents. Obviously, international signings, uh, your wheelhouse build. Now he's, you know, working on building up different aspects of the organization. The lockout helped the Mets to a certain degree parse out and maybe put the most important thing, which is roster building on the back burner. Uh, But you got to give him credit. And the real challenge is going to be the Mets need bullpen help. The Mets need starting pitching. They need depth. And I'm not sold on the bats yet. And. Free agency, you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to spend more money, but I think you're going to see a lot of guys have to take pillow contracts here. How are you going to yeah. negotiate a seven? Now, I'm not sure that these guys are all not talking. I don't believe that at all. Who knows what yeah. you're talking? But I guess yeah. you got to be careful. In this day and age, you got to be careful. There's always a trail. Text yeah. is a big part of it's not yes. like you're picking up the phone and calling somebody from a pay phone. You know, Tony <laughs> Soprano, right? Tony yeah. Soprano calling 
you know, in the Sopranos, there's a text trail and all it takes is Deadspin or Barstool to get a hold of it. And there's always somebody. Mm-hmm. But let's assume that everything's on the up and up. His biggest challenge is coming forward. It's going to be a race and it's going to really be interesting. And he sounds like he's got a plan. He said, I got five or six things right away yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. Which who knows I if those are going to be fa- fascinating, yeah. fascinating when, yeah. it, when the bell rings. And those five things, because I read the article too, great work by Joel. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed it. Like those five things may not necessarily be player acquisitions. Like it could be something else. But I, I totally agree that they're they're devising a plan. Uh, I agree about the general needs. I don't know that I buy the you know John Heyman report that they're still going to go for something significant. I don't know if that's the case. I think where they what they can do now is be advantageous because like you mentioned, the rush that it's going to be, it's going to squeeze players out because mm-hmm. there's not going to be, there's not going to oh, be Oh, there's time. guys who are free agents that yeah. their wives are freaking out. Like, where is your paycheck coming? Yeah. I'm not talking yeah. about Matt and Scherzer types. I'm talking about no. guys that, John, you know. Jonathan VR. Like, yeah. Jonathan where am I VR making my money? Example to me. Yeah. 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 And I'll tell you, like, uh, next week on uh, next week's that so Mets pod, uh, Connor and I are going to be doing our like post lockout to do list, like what we think is going to happen. Like I think they're going to I think they're going to get a starter, whether that's in trade or signing. I think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be a stud. Like I don't think they're going to get Luis Castillo. I don't think they're going to get Frankie Montas. Like, and I don't even know that they need that person. And I, I don't think know if that's the, the best Mets, Oakland yeah. pitcher, by the way. I don't know Frankie Montas if it's McNeil. And a prospect. And even if you're getting uh, Trevino back, I'm not sure mm-hmm. I like that deal. That's the other rumor. Oh, it's a proposal yeah. that Jim Duquette brought up. Sure. I think ba- yeah. the, the Bassett is probably the best out of the three. You know, in my opinion, you, could, you know, you can make you can make an argument for any of them. I think they're all pretty similar quality. Uh, Montas just has the extra year of control, which is yep. which which is a benefit. But I one don't good year, been, though, Joe, yeah. one good year yeah. of 30 starts, a lot of injuries yeah. and a lot of 15 and a suspension, for, too. Right. So, yeah, that's for sure. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely a question mark. But like, I don't, I don't know that they need a front line guy. I think what they need is someone that's going to take the ball every fifth day. Because I'm good if I run through the other four men that are going to be in this rotation for sure. You can't tell me definitively. You believe all of them will be healthy nope. this year? No, so, Carrasco for sure. You're relying yeah. a lot on McGill and Peterson. Maybe both in the rotation. Um, I mean, not, realistically, yeah. I mean, you have Jake, right? You have yep. the, we don't, we don't know the deal with Jake. It's just a mystery. Maybe he comes yep. back and he's fine. He's Jacob deGrom and everything's hunky dory, but until mm-hmm. we see it, we don't know. Max Scherzer. I mean, he know he knows his body. He knows how to work, but he did have that dead arm at the end of the year. He's 37 ah. years old. Anything could happen. Taiwan Walker history of injuries. Like the reason he broke down in 2021 is because it was basically the first time he ever pitched a full season. So yep. like he's not used to it. Carrasco getting into his mid thirties, you'll have McGill and Peterson on reserve. And that that's a good thing. I think that'll help that their depth will be a little better, but you need whoever they sign or trade for. Maybe it's a Bassett, like you mentioned, but whoever they acquire, that person needs to be someone that, you know, is taking the ball every fifth day. Maybe Sonny Gray. Maybe that costs yeah. you less. Maybe it's not. I sexy. love Sonny Gray. I know I you love, do well yeah. in New York. I know Cashman didn't like him. I know Epler may have said, uh, you know, yeah. call my old boss. What do you think? Stay away. Yeah. Not a New York guy. So yeah. there's some things. Yeah. And I, I don't think Luis Castillo is worth the package that people think. I mean, there's good numbers, but there's red flag. He lost about 18 games last year, 15 games last year. I know. And the numbers yeah. were good. 
Yeah. And I know it's not about wins, but when you lose 18 games, yeah. I don't care. I don't look, that's a lot of freaking games, Cincinnati or not. Right. So um, I'd be careful. And I'm not ready to give up Jeff McNeil. I'm, I'm not, not ready. Tr- I'm not trading Jeff McNeil if I'm in charge. I mean, the only way that you could convince me that it's a good idea to trade Jeff McNeil is if it's like he is so far gone in the clubhouse that he like he is a cancer in the clubhouse. Do you really and, and think? I think no. I, think I, I don't. I don't think that's. I think that's. I th- he looked miserable had, last year. Sometimes I, there was sometimes in yeah. the field after an at bat, uh, he looked miserable. I'm like, oh yeah. my god, this guy is really impacted. And then now I'm playing junior psychologist here. But yeah. if the legs were bad, the hamstring was bad for a while, Joe. And then he no had doubt. the game in Cincinnati when he, when he couldn't play because of weak legs. Yep. That's not good in July when your legs are weak. You're not going right. to build up strength in August. You know that. Yeah. I nope, think the no legs chance. are where I would go. And I, I wouldn't be surprised we see an article about that. You heard it here first. Yeah. We've talked yeah. about for weeks. I'm talking about this podcast. Won't get any credit, but you heard it here first. Yeah. I, I love McNeil. Like, just from a pure player standpoint, like, I think Buck will be good for him. Like, I think Buck Showalter is a guy that will be able to get through to Jeff McNeil. I think. I mean, you just have to look at his career prior to this year. Like he did struggle. Like you said, he had that elongated leg injury and who knows how long he was playing in pain and trying to just tough it through to play. Like he's an over 300 hitter every other year of his career. Granted, one of them is the shortened season, but still it's consistently over 300. He on bases 380. Like as long as Jeff McNeil doesn't sell out to hit home runs, Yep. He's a hell he's a hell of a player. I don't I don't want to get rid of him at all. Like to me, nope. I wouldn't have I wouldn't even have him on the block. Uh and who knows? I mean, sometimes that's just mental bubblegum. Tough time of the yeah. year to do shows. And I'll tell you what, after this week, we got some meat and potatoes here with Showalter and, and Epler doing the tour. <laughs> you know, we're gonna be talking about uh, history and how many times are you gonna speculate about uh, Frankie Montas? It's gonna get tough yeah. out there. Here's something that Andy Martino talked about. I've been talking about this guy for a few weeks now. Uh, don't count out Robinson Cano contributing, even if it's for 350 at-bats. I know the Dominican Winter League, there's a lot of guys in there that don't belong in, you know, double A. And I know who cares that he won an MVP or an all-star, whatever he was, and he hit, you know, 400. But the last time he played, he hit. He's a professional hitter. I don't believe steroids is the reason why he's hit. I think it's steroids is the reason why he could stay on the field. But if you could get him in a role, of 300 ABs and a DH role. It looks like there'll be a DH. That's one thing I think we could reasonably uh, 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 feel from these negotiations. I think you need Robinson Cano more than you, than people think. And Mets fans dislike him so much. And I know Andy said, is it race? I personally think it's this former Yankee, Jared Kelnick media hype about uh, the trade and, and Brody. But more importantly, when a former Yankee comes here, to this side of the town, they don't have any rope. They don't have any rope. And Joe, outside of that first half in 2019, he's been Robinson Cano, second half. Robinson Cano, shortened season. So in a shortened role, he can produce. Do you agree? Yes, I definitely agree. I think people count out Robinson Cano far too quickly. Um, I think, like you said, it's a combination of the media, the Yankee to Met thing, the trade of Jared, Jared Kelnick, and then, frankly a steroid suspension too. Like on top, you just combine all those things. And it's just like, what are you doing, man? Like I I can understand why fans don't prefer Robinson Cano, but to your point, I think he's going to be a productive hitter. He's been a hitter his whole career. Steroids may have helped him stay on the field, or maybe they juiced up his numbers a little bit at some point, whatever. Like we don't really know, but what I do know is 
He still has one of the sweetest swings in the game. He knows how to hit. He's a professional, like you said, mostly a DH. And, you know, he could play second base on occasion. Like he's, he's not a butcher out there. He just doesn't move. He's got some instincts. He doesn't move well. He's got some instincts. And and you're not 39 years old. He's not going to move. Right. Right. Look, Tom Brady could play till he's 45. Robinson Cano could give the Mets two more years. Let's, let's agree on that. Right. So, yeah. I uh, think, I think Cano will be able to hit and you find a role for him, whether that's splitting up DH duty subbing at second base on, you know, some given days, but yeah, I think fans dislike Robinson Cano and, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is if he comes out and he starts hitting, I think you'll magically see fans change. Cause yep. we just Mets fans want to see winning. They want to see players yep. perform. And if you don't perform, it doesn't matter what you did prior. They'll try to kick you out the door. How many fans are hitting your Twitter? I know a lot are hitting mine about getting no rid of Jeff McNeil, right? Think about it. I, the, like, well, they're excited about trade proposals because they're they're, yeah. they're like we could get this guy. and everybody. Well, I, I, Luis Castillo's not a shoe in. The Oakland yeah. guys are good, but they all have you know spottiness. They're pitchers. Be, they trade McNeil and a prospect. By the way, some of them are ready to give some prospects up. Your wheelhouse, which yeah. we're gonna as we round yeah. in the, the back half of this segment, we'll get to that. I'm like, slow down, slow down. And without Robinson Cano, I'm a little concerned with a DH that offense. Yeah, you got J.D. Davis, and I like J.D. Davis. And you got the, I, a different hitting yeah. coach with Eric Chavez, but and you got the nonsense of the hitting coach from last year and the analytics out. <laughs> but you, it's not a shoe in that they're they're bet they can't be worse. They need but to I'm get. Not, deep. They're not five yeah. runs a game guaranteed. I thought this was five no. runs a game team last year. I'm yeah, not guaranteed. Not. I, I don't. I'm not talking that that tune this year. I'll tell you that. I think they definitely need to get deeper offensively like if like if you look at the 26 man roster as constructed yep. there's nothing on the bench at all right like i right. would be prioritizing high quality bench guys those guys that get squeezed that are probably starting caliber players that just yeah there's no job there's no job because of time and they need to get something just overpay them a little bit on a one-year deal to come and be like look you're gonna get at bats it may not be every single day but you're going to get opportunities like like Jonathan VR was supposed to be. He played more that, than he was expected. Kevin Pillar, exactly if what they, I talked about. Yeah. If they if they trade a JD Davis, which I think is a distinct possibility, like just yep. bring Jonathan VR back. Like he was sure. fine. He he plays all over the place. He's got a little pop. He can run a yep. little bit. Go sign Tommy Pham for the outfield. Like that's a borderline starting guy, but not yep. like a locked in guy. On base guy, on base guy for sure. On base yeah. can run a little yep. bit, got a little pop, and he replaces Kevin Pilar. Like they got to improve the depth here. You know, if there's a opportunity to, you know, make a splash on someone on a like yep. if Chris Bryant ends up on a short term deal, fine. Like sure, the, I don't want the Mets going long term on anything. Like the rest of my plan is one to two year deals and just using Steve Cohen's money for this, for this little run and saying like, Hey, yeah. all right, yeah. Jonathan VR, we'll give you a six, $7 million to be a super utility guy. There you go. Joe DeMeo. Uh, that's so Mets pod with Connor Rogers. Good stuff. Joe, uh, as we round it out here, we got to talk minor league because we've been talking minor league going back years and always minor leagues with Mets and prospects with Mets is always controversial and it's always negative except for the few times where they acquired mainly the, uh, you know, the four aces. They, they drafted Mats, they drafted DeGrom. Uh, DeGrom was the least known. They, they, they drafted Harvey, then they acquired Syndergaard. They acquired Wheel, five aces actually, right? Um, other than that, I don't remember a lot of positivity around the Mets minor leagues, but it's starting to change. Now, 
other than Mark Vientos, but you have some other names that may actually help with depth from the 40-man roster. You're going to need that. You're, you're going to need at least 10 starting pitchers, maybe 12, yeah. uh, depending on the weather. And it, it, I can't imagine 13, 14 doubleheaders again. But look, I'm <laughs> not out of the, you know, the, you know, the absolutes game. The Mets have gone from, what, 25 out of 30 to now 19 out of 30 in three years. Give the prior regime a little bit of credit there. Uh, five Up to five guys, depending on which prospect list in the top 100. Not all of those guys, probably only one of them. Uh, well, maybe not any of them you'll see this year or next year. Um, that's a big change. And you must be excited, of course. But this is a valuable tool. And they've got all these draft picks. And they're spending money in the international market because they don't have restrictions anymore. Uh, this is a dream come true. And you've got to feel the best you've ever felt in the years you follow this team and the years you've covered this team about the farm system and where it can go. It's been a bit since I felt as good as where, where they're standing right now. I mean, you just look at the top with Francisco Alvarez. I would be willing to bet a lot that Francisco Alvarez is making all-star teams as a catcher. Like he can stay behind the plate. He's not going to be an elite glove back there. He still has some work to do on his receiving skills, blocking balls, but he's got a well above average arm. And frankly, like the bat is what's carrying this kid. Like this is, I've talked to scouts that give him 70 grade power, which is on a 20, 20, 80 scale, 70 grade. Just throwing the name Mike Piazza around here. Let's put it that way. That's yeah. I I don't, I don't, I don't play. I don't play those games, but uh, no, good for good for that. Keith Law. He likes to do that. But like, yeah. if you hear if you hear seventy grade power to me, I mean, just to simplify that, that's like thirty thirty five. That's what seventy grade is. That's like a yep. thirty home run bat. So he is a genuine dude. Like he can handle velocity. Um, he does need a little work on breaking balls, which I'll get to Brett Beatty in a second, who does not need work on that. But uh, Alvarez is an absolute stud. Uh, for me, the second best is Beatty. I know Keith Law put Mauricio ahead of him. I think Beatty's a step ahead of Mauricio. Like I think they're they're not crazy far off, but I think Beatty is like definitely ahead of him. Um, much more polished at the plate. He uh, high exit velocities, barrel rate, hit to all fields, pitch recognition skills. Like he can wait on that breaking ball and hit it with authority the other way. Um, the only problem that he had was his ground ball rate was a little high this year higher than you want for a power corner infielder but he made some adjustments to his swing in the Arizona Fall League and you saw him hitting the ball in the air with that same authority uh I think he's gonna he's a guy that could potentially debut this year more likely probably 2023 but these guys are all getting closer they're all going to be in the upper minors for the most part um and Mark Vientos is the one I want to highlight just because he he will play for the Mets in 2022 I will bet anything he got added. To and the he might become run. one of those guys that we don't re- He's been around forever. Yeah. Nobody's really ever been excited about him. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he is a he contributor. Just, maybe, maybe that's what he he ne- Lucas Duda, Lucas Duda kind of like that, right? He never put Vientos just never put it, it all together. The tools were always yeah. there. Like when the right. Mets drafted him, he was the youngest high school player in the draft when they drafted him. So he was always playing at a level where he was, three years, four years younger than the average player at that level. Now his age and level are starting to match up and his pitch recognition skills have improved and the power is legit. I went to 
back-to-back double-A games this year. Him and Brett Beatty were both in the lineup. And Mark Vientos, every ball off his bat is so loud. It's that sound. Like, you know, if you know baseball, you just go. You can hear a ball off the bat and know that it's right. it's something. And uh, his egg, his exit velocities rival that of Pete Alonso's at wow. that level. That so, tells like, you he, quite a bit because Pete Alonso is one of the best, if not the best in the game on yeah. that. The, yeah, yeah. That, that, that'll be, well, where does he play, Joe? What's his position? That, that's the reason he uh, that's the reason that he's not ranked as highly as maybe he should, because no one really knows. I mean, he plays third base. He's uh, not not great at it. They're trying him in left <laughs> field. He's never played the outfield before. Like maybe he's the we, DH. Maybe he's the DH. Inter- who knows? That's, that's where I think his his best spot in the future might be. I think you could jam him in a spot and he won't kill you. But sure. defensively, it's a problem. Like we, we interviewed him, Jacob Resnick and I, with Mets Perspective, the SNY uh, digital video series on prospects. We had Vientos on last summer, and he was starting to dabble in left field. Him and Brett Beatty were alternating third and left, so they both got some versatility. And uh, Jacob, I believe, asked him, like, you know, when's the last time you played outfield? He goes, never before. Oh, I don't. I, He's like, I haven't shagged fly ball. Like he, he just, wow. ne- ne- cause he was a shortstop growing up. Give him and, credit, by the yeah. way, give him credit for, cause a lot of guys would be like, ah, yeah. I don't know, but that's very, how you get to the big leagues. That's how you get the very open-minded wants right. the versatility. He, he works hard. He's a guy that I believe whatever you get out of him defensively is him giving his absolute best. I said this about Alonzo probably with you a few years ago, like he may not win a gold glove, but you're going to get every ounce of effort from this guy to play a defensive position. I think the same thing about Vientos. So when you put your article together, the six prospects that could impact the Mets that are not Beatty and Mauricio and Alvarez, who are not going to play in 2020, those guys play in 2021, something crazy is happening, right? 2022. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm behind. Is Vientos the guy out of those six that you're most likely going to see contribute to the 2022 Mets in a big way? Is that the guy you're betting on? Him and Khalil Lee would be my two right. bets because I think right now they they lack outfield depth. So all it takes mm-hmm. is one Brandon Nimmo hamstring or whatever, and Khalil Lee could come up. Like Khalil Lee came up too early last year. He was not ready right. for the. But he was leagues. good defensively. He couldn't hit the he, side of a barn, but he, he did show play. me something with the glove. He could play defense. He has a plus plus arm. He could play all three outfield spots. Um, and then he went back to Triple A, and often with situations like this you'll see guys come up to the bigs struggle go back to triple a and struggle because now it's in their head right clearly went back and from when he got demoted until the end of the season he led all of minor league baseball in on-base percentage he was top five in weighted runs created plus like this is a guy that can hit he just got called up prematurely and it was a very small sample size of lack of success his contact ability needs work. That's what's holding him back um, from being an everyday player, I think. So if he's able to find a way to make more consistent contact, he's got enough pop. He can run. Like, I don't know why he didn't steal bases this year, but in in 2019 in Kansas city system, before uh, he joined the Mets, he stole 53 bases in double a for them. So he can run, but he's just, that's a a rare trait, rare trait in baseball. Now, Joe and I, you won't see him. You'll just hear him because I don't do video. Nobody wants to see my ugly mug. 
Joe has two of the best background. He has a better background than any other guest that I've had on here. He's got <laughs> Roger Federer to his right, and he's got my favorite, one of my favorite TV personalities, characters, Michael Scott. And you know the quote, and you you can't you probably can't read because it's so uh, it's away. about missing the shot. Is that yeah. is that what it is? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You miss a hundred shots that you don't take. Yeah, hundred percent of the shots Michael that you Scott. don't take. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you miss a hundred percent of the prospect news that you could get if you don't listen to Joe DeMeo. What do you got coming up, Joe? Uh, just stay tuned to SNY.tv. We got some good stuff coming this spring, and uh, Mets perspective should hopefully be coming back. Uh, got the That's So Mets podcast, That's So Mets YouTube channel. Check all that out. Uh, I'm starting to get into the MLB draft now because the lockout has given me a reason to start my yep. studies early. Uh, typically, I wait I wait until baseball spring baseball starts, which is usually later this month. Early March is when it starts. But I got to I got to start three weeks ago. And we had uh, Joe Doyle from Prospects Live on who they already have a top 300 list for the MLB wow. draft this year. It's amazing and, uh, where this thing has evolved over 15 years. Really amazing. When I first started doing the draft and talking to you about it, you couldn't find someone else to talk about it unless you went to Jonathan Mayo or Jim Callis, basically. Yep. Like you couldn't basically. find anyone. It wasn't a thing. Now it's much more widespread and I love it. But I, yeah, I got my, I got my head start because the Mets are going to have themselves six top 90 to hundred picks. And you have the opportunity with this scouting department to overhaul this farm system. And really, I think it could become a strength almost overnight. Truly. Hey, you listen, you got Tommy Tanis on speed dial. Yeah. You know, look at that. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Joe's going to be, we, Joe's going to be, Joe's going to be in the draft room in the back and, and, and help. And then we could blame you when it all, all doesn't work out. That, that'll be the way it works. I, I'll be, I'll be happy to be a fly on the wall. Just give me a lap, give me a laptop, give me a chair. I'll stay the hell out of your way. You were generous of your time. I kept you way longer than I promised. Be well. Let's do this again. You and Connor Rogers, That's So Mets Pod, YouTube. You're the best, my friend. Be well and, and take care. You too, Mike. Appreciate you. And that's Joe DeMeo. Joe DeMeo. That's So Mets Pod. Great stuff. Always love catching up with him. Interesting segment. All right. Let's take a quick break and wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Doc Gooden had many classic outings as a member of the Mets. What was his best? We asked the man himself when he joined me on the Talking Mets podcast. I think it was 85. I was in L.A. Um, I think the score was 2-0 or 3-0. And Gary Carter was catching me. I didn't throw a breaking ball into the seventh inning. And I remember the ninth inning, they got a couple guys. It might have been a base load. They got on a couple guys got on base. And they had three lefties coming up. I think I struck two of them out. And then I think Terry Whitfield popped up in the game. I thought that was my best game. You know, looking back at it, just top of my head. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. I thought Joe DeMeo and I had some really interesting things to talk about. And, you know, the biggest thing I could say is, I just want to get back to baseball. I mean, I really don't want to start to spend the next one, two, three, four weeks trying to cobble up historical segments and labor talk. And we may actually have to do that. I know the Super Bowl is coming up this week, and I talked about taking the week off, and I'm not sure yet. So basically, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not sure what this week will bring. 
Um, I'm going to see how the whole labor situation plays out. I think Super Bowl Sunday is kind of like a, a national holiday, even if you're you're not a big football fan. So do you really want to listen to Talking Mets on Super Bowl Sunday? So here's what I would say. I'm thinking about it. And if I don't come to you this coming Sunday, maybe we'll do something midweek. I'll come to you soon. I'll come to you soon. You're going to get something the following week. And um, I just wanted to let you know. So stay stay tuned. Go to Twitter at Mike Silva Media. See what I say. I'll keep you posted and keep you updated. But I really want to see how things transpire because we're at this point where we're kind of stuck. Like Joe and I did a, a pretty much a, a full go around of, of the topics that are really just stuck in neutral. That's where we are. And the next thing is to talk about the negotiations, which I've thought about doing. But I'm not quite sure if if the, you guys care. I really don't. I think you guys just want it to end. I don't think you care about service time. I don't think you care about league minimums. I don't think you care about uh, competitive balance tax. I know you care about teams competi- competing and winning. That's not an issue here for the Mets. But obviously it's a baseball issue. So I, I really hope that this gets solved because we're making tremendous momentum here at the Talking Mets podcast. We've grown again. Our fan-sided partners are doing tremendous things for us. I'm really excited for the 2022 season. Steve Cohen has put his chips to the center of the table. New manager, new GM. Great things going on. I mean, how can you not feel good after you know watching these two guys tour Port St. Lucie in that in- in-depth interview with Joel Sherman? How can you not feel good about these guys? So... Anyway, we'll see. You know, just like you, I'll be uh, keeping my eyes posted to the internet to see what's going on. But like I said earlier, be careful, Rob. Be careful about burning the house down to win. I don't know if the players are asking for anything. You know, we don't know the details. But burning the house down and you winning doesn't mean you win. Because at the end of the day, those listening to the in this audience... Our wallets could walk at any time. Don't threaten them to walk. You don't want to threaten people to close their wallets. Because, by the way, yeah, you got the cable revenue and all that stuff. You can watch it on TV. You need fannies in the seats. And you need this, this, this business to grow. And there's a lot of other things people could watch. A lot. Both sports and otherwise. And you don't want to... Look, they're not going to be boxing. They're not going to be horse racing. But those sports were pretty big at one point too. And I, like I said earlier, if there's one thing you haven't, you if you've learned one thing from COVID, never say it can't happen. The depths of what could happen, things that we never thought in our lifetime we could experience, they could happen. All right, that's it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank you for your patience and your support and letting me tribute this to my. Uh, late friend, my golden retriever, Sammy. I just saw Jordan Yamamoto post a picture of his golden and brought tears to my eyes. Jordan Yamamoto is my favorite Met now, anyway. Um, you can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see. I might be coming to you next week. If not, I'll see you after the Super Bowl. Till then, take care, everybody.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.